When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason Mann and with me is my partner Rich Krejci. Rich, good to be back with you. Yes. Yeah. No uniforms today. No. No uniform. We're we're past the uniforms. We've gotten through our uh, our, our best and worst uniforms. Hope everybody uh, enjoyed those shows. Uh, appreciate any. Uh, we've gotten some nice feedback on those, but any more feedback that we uh, get, definitely appreciate that. Or of course, we haven't had enough people tell us we're wrong yet, and that that kind of disturbs me. I want you to tell us well, how we are wrong and defend your crappy jersey or your good jersey yeah. that you think. Uh, I, you know, we we love to hear you know well reasoned uh, arguments, not ones that cause nasty names, but you know. No, I like those too. Well, no, okay, those that, that's fair. That, that's fair. So. Uh, today, we are going to uh, tackle uh, a, a very big subject, I guess you could say. Um, the uh, uh, one of, if not the greatest player in uh, NBA history, uh, Wilt Chamberlain. And you know, you could spend hours and hours talking about uh, Wilt Chamberlain. We've decided to just kind of focus a little bit on. Um, the most impressive or interesting statistics that he uh, produced in his career. I mean, he's a guy just. The numbers are just amazing. Obviously, the 100-point game, um, the the uh, first in rebounds and points, 50-point 50, 50 per game average, 55 rebounds in a game, so on and so forth. I mean, he uh, the numbers are – they're better than a video game. I mean, basically, he broke basketball for uh, – <laughs> for a number of years and just put up numbers that are, you know, ha- have never been seen before or since. And so uh, uh, we're going to talk about that. And uh, to help us with that is uh, definitely an expert in the field. Uh, he is the the man behind the uh, Wilt Chamberlain archive 
Live, the uh, great uh, YouTube channel and uh, Twitter account that uh, talks, of course, focus on Wilchamberlain, but also shares a lot of great uh, videos and information about uh, basketball history. Uh, Dan, welcome to the program. Oh, good, good. Good to be here. So, um, before we kind of get into um, get into just the, the numbers that we're going to talk about, um, you know, what um, tell us a little bit about the Bo Chamberlain Archive. Uh, well, it was uh, just a YouTube channel that I started to um, basically to put videos uh, up of that I had collected of Will Chamberlain, uh, and to sort of make highlights or videos to highlight certain parts of his game uh, that I wanted to see basically videos that, that weren't there because uh, if you looked at his statistics, they're so amazing and you want to try to figure out, okay, you know, who was he as a player and, and how did he look on the floor? There wasn't a lot out there. So I just basically wanted to put videos up that I wanted to see. And uh, it looks like other people enjoy watching them too. So that's good. Yeah, we've we've really enjoyed it. Um, what got what in particular um, got you interested in Wilt or fascinates you about Wilt? I mean, there's so much, obviously, but is there anything that really stands out? <laughs> well, the first thing that stands out is the numbers. I mean, uh, when I was starting, when I was getting into basketball uh, as LeBron James was coming into the scene, uh, everybody talked about how dominant his numbers were and things like that, and you just browse the history of the game a little bit and the there are big names that stand out like Michael Jordan obviously and uh but when you look at just the the numbers uh Wilt is sort of you know in his own little category and uh that's basically it that pulls you in and from there you know it's just you try to explore as much as possible to to understand how he did those numbers yeah, I remember one of my first memories of Basketball Reference, which is a great site that we obviously use on, on every single podcast that we do, is when you go to Will Chamberlain's page, it's just like you forget that the bold is like league leader because you just you just only see bold when you go to his page. Like there's there's like a five year period, you know, between obviously his his, his rookie year and probably about you know the, the tail end of the the Philadelphia years where just everything is bold, like almost everything except for free throw percentage or whatever is just like in this unbelievable bold, and you're just like, oh my god, like this guy is just it, it's. As Jason said a little bit earlier, that's a guy that, that's breaking basketball. When when you're as dominant and and as much of a league leader in, in terms of statistics as he was, and then when you read about Wilt and you you know you read the stuff about him, about people talking about playing with him, playing against him, all that sort of stuff, you just look at a guy who's just so unbelievable to look at his career and the scope of his career of just what he was able to do on the basketball court and what he's able to accumulate stat wise. I mean, there's some obviously criticisms of his ability to win and the free throw shooting and this other stuff like that. I mean, we're not going to do much of that in this podcast, I don't believe, but we're really going to just look on the bright side. And a lot of the bright is just, it's unbelievable how, how, how much depth there is to his numbers as well. And that's what we're going to do a little bit as well is when you really look at it and look at like, man, like the things that he led the league in and how much he led the league in and, and the things just all time and the stuff he was able to do. It's just, he, he's just an unbelievable player more than anyone. I think in the NBA uh, statistics wise, he is just so much uh, uh, the most fascinating one in my mind. Yeah. And um, you're just taking a look at just sort of the overall picture before we get into um, things more in depth. 
Uh, he was a four-time MVP, um, seven-time All-NBA first team. And, you know, mind you, he is competing, of course, against Bill Russell uh, almost his entire career, and then later Kareem. And um, so, you know, and, and there are only two All-NBA teams. So uh, the fact that he was finishing ahead of Russell and Kareem during these years, uh, very impressive. Um uh, fifth all-time in points, he uh, blew away the points record, which we'll uh, talk about a little bit later, just how far ahead he was at, at uh, his peak. Uh, second all-time in points per game, just a very, very tiny bit behind uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, first in rebounds and rebounds per game by Miles. Um, only player to uh, lead the league in points, rebounds, and assists in, in different seasons. Uh, led the league in points and, and rebounds many times, uh, assists only one time. Uh, had most double-doubles. Um, and he played an average of 45.8 minutes per game, which is just, you know, amazing, especially later in his career when he slowed down, still playing, you know, at an amazing amount. Uh, he had 100. James Harden would be very upset about that if he had to play 45 minutes a game. He, yeah. James Harden doesn't want to play 38. So. <laughs> there you go. And he had 128 uh, NBA records when he retired. He still has, I believe, 71 um, records. So that's um, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um uh, and Rich, there you pointed out some of the uh, advanced stats as well that you just uh, the basic ones that blow you away. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, for the top ten single season win share seasons of all time, that's in uh, 1964, 1962, 1967, and 1966 in the, in that order. Uh, he also has the second highest ever uh, single season win share, and that's in the 1963-64 season uh, as well. He's third highest uh, win shares per 48 ever. Uh, that's uh, his uh, 1964 season. And then he also has three of the top ten single-season PR records, uh, including first and second highest ever, which is 63 and 62. So you look at, at advanced stuff, really loves him. And, and like you said, the raw numbers, everybody kind of knows about those, the points, the rebounds, that sort of stuff, even the assists that we'll get to here in a little bit. But, yeah, in terms of the advanced stuff, they, they love him as well. All right, so, you know, kind of starting out with um – you know, some of the uh, the, the single-game statistics. Um, Dan, is there anything that uh, that really stands out to you um, first? I mean, we can we can start with the obvious one or, you know, whatever you think, uh, you know, any or maybe something that you've uh, discovered in your research that would uh, blow our listeners away. Uh, e- either way, is there something that stands out to you? Uh, just for single game? Yeah. Well, I... One of them that is unofficial, uh, as far as block shots, he has the NBA record for most points in the triple-double, officially. Uh, And I think he had 53 points in that game. But in 1962, the season where he averaged 50 a game in the regular season, he had a playoff game where, at the time, I think he broke like six records in just that one game. Um, I don't know what those records were. It wasn't specified in the news archive that I was reading, but um, his stat line in that game in the playoffs, it was a closing game against the Syracuse Nationals, and he had 56 points, 35 rebounds, and 12 block shots. Uh, And that's a playoff (laughs) game. Good day at the office. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the most points. Uh, in a triple double by any player ever, although it's unofficial because of the uh, the block shots is not an official statistic from that time, but uh, it was tallied or counted by the journalists who watched the game. So uh, that would be one of them, and that was in the playoffs. So that was the yeah. then playoff record for points as well. Mm-hmm. And well, one that I really love. Uh, oh, sorry, not, not to interrupt, but uh, 61-62 season. 
um, which we're going to talk about at length here in a little bit, but one of my favorite ones of doing a little bit of research for him, and I, I just thought of this when we were talking about single games, uh, is in the All-Star game that year, he dropped 42 uh, points, 24 rebounds, and shot 73% from the field. So I was just like that it's like an all-star game where it's like, all right, you can take the day off, Will. Like, ah, okay, I'll just drop 42 and 24. You know, no, no big deal. Like, it's just like, 40, who gets 42 points in an all-star game? Like, come on, man. What are you doing? But it's, <laughs> yeah. That's Will. Yeah, and, you know, not to mention, I mean, um, of course he has the 100-point game, which you know, I've always thought a little bit, I mean, obviously it's 100 points, and it's incredibly impressive, but he... You know, the way that that was produced by his team basically fouling the, you know, the Knicks to, um, you know, to, to get more possession so uh, Will would get more chances to score was sort of like, a, you know, a little bit of um, subverting the game in a way just to get a record. Whereas, you know, d- during that season, during that his career, he's also had 78, 73 twice, 72 and 70 is six of the top 10 scoring games ever. I think that's a little bit more impressive than just the, hundred point game, although obviously that's that's staggering in its own way as well. Yeah, the rest of NBA history combined has four seventy point performances. <laughs> yeah. He has six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um and of course rebounding as well. I mean he has the record of fifty five rebounds per game, which happened in nineteen sixty against the Celtics. Um in fact he has 15 games with 40 plus rebounds, which has happened 29 times. Uh, Russell's had 11 of those times. Only three times has it been a different player other than Russell and uh, Chamberlain. Um, obviously, a, a pace is a big factor in that because the the game in those days was played at a much faster pace and there were more chances, uh, more missed shots because guys didn't shoot as well as well. So there are more chances for a rebound. But still, those numbers are um, obviously I- incredible. Rich, is there uh, another one for you? Yeah, well, I think you guys brought up the seventy win, uh, the seventy point rather um, games, which I think are super impressive. But I actually like the sixty point games even a little bit more because he's got thirty two sixty point plus games, uh, and then which is fascinating is Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant are tied for second with five each. It's just like it, it's not even like no one's even close thirty two to five, and like that's not even. It's just to me that's the most unbelievable. It, it's just it's staggering the difference between him and basically just anybody else throughout history. And I, I think one of the things that you mentioned about the pace and that sort of stuff, which is obviously something that we you know we talk about a lot, is that context matters in, in cases like this. But I think in a, in a sense as well, um, you know, Will can only play in the era that he plays in, and that's what we've always done on this podcast as well. Is not necessarily try to grade eras on an even playing field all the time of understanding that, hey, Wilt is in this era and that, you know, he is what it is. We'll talk about it here in a little bit, but I mean, he, above his peers even, stood out tremendously. So it's not just some guy who was just bum slaying and like in any other, you know, or his team had some funky thing that made him good or whatever. It was, it wasn't really that. It was just, he was so much better than everybody else in his era in terms of, of compiling these stats that that's what really makes him stand out in some sense. But I think it is important to mention that context sure. and the pace as well. Sure. Um, Dan, anything, uh, another one for you? Well, uh, just to, um, add to the, uh, the 60 point performances, uh, again, all other players in NBA history, if you combine everyone except Wilt, they also, com- they, they combine for 32 60 point performances. So he alone has tied the rest of NBA history with 60 point performances. Yeah, and he had uh, 118 50-point games. Jordan is second with 31. 
271 40-point games. Uh, Jordan is second with 173. And Wilt played in 1,045 games. So he, almost 26% of his games were 40 points or better. (laughs) And as far as if if you track how his coaches wanted him to play the game and how he cooperated and tried to play the game a certain way, he really only tried to score as much as he could for about seven seasons. Yeah. The other uh, seasons he was throttling back and, yeah. and looking to, to, to dominate the game in other ways. So that, that makes that even more impressive, I think. And he is second all time in triple doubles in a season. He had 31 triple doubles in 67, 68. And that was during the time in which, you know, intentionally uh, he was dialing back and scoring and was concentrating more on assists and, um, and, you know, being, being more balanced and uh, focusing more on defense as well. This that was a year after they had won the championship and were still really good. Although they lost to the Celtics that year in the playoffs. I think Billy Cunningham was hurt in that uh, series. Um, uh, Rich, are there any other uh, ones that stand out to you? On terms of single games, not really. There's some other stuff. Uh, yeah, nothing single game wise. Yeah. No. I, um, two more that uh, really uh, stand out for me. There were uh, in uh, uh, February second, uh, nineteen sixty nine. He had the only twenty 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 game ever recorded: twenty two points, twenty five rebounds, twenty one assists. Um, and then five times he had uh, forty plus and forty forty plus point and forty plus rebound games. So, uh, Dan, are there any other uh, single games that uh, stand out to you? Uh, well, I think he had again. This is unofficial with um, games where block shot data was recorded by someone. Uh, he has three quadruple doubles, and they are also all in the playoffs. Uh, I think. One of them is against um, Bill Russell in 1967, uh, where he had 24 points, 32 rebounds, 13 assists, and 12 block shots. And the other one is in against Nate Thurmond, that same playoff run, the same championship run, where he had 10 blocks, uh, 10 points, 38 rebounds, and 10 assists. And uh, he did it again a few seasons later while he was on the Lakers uh, against the Phoenix Suns, where he had 12 points, 26 rebounds, 11 assists, and 12 blocks. So, uh, you know, quadruple doubles, you know, are not easy to come by, we know. And these are all unofficial. The NBA doesn't officially recognize block shots from that time period, but it uh, gives some sort of insight into how dominant he was uh, with defense as well, not just offense. Um, and one more that, um, I think you may have alluded to it, but, uh, 1968 triple double 53 points, uh, 32 rebounds and 14 assists. That's the most points scored in a triple double game officially. Uh, and that of course was later in his career when he wasn't as much as focused on scoring. So that's another, you know, he obviously later (laughs) in his career, he could still, uh, put up, uh, big point totals when, when called for. I like the, the not worrying about it. Oh, I'll just drop 53. <laughs> I don't really want to score, but I guess I'll, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll drop I guess I'll, I, why not, you know? <laughs> I mean, if you guys are going to do it, I'll just... If only Kobe could do that today. <laughs> right. He tries. Yeah, that's true. He, he does. Not for lack of effort, yeah, I'll tell you. Not lack, lack of shots, that's for sure. So, <laughs> um, 
so I guess we'll move on to uh, to, to single season stats and um, and and we'll let you go first. Is there anything that really stands out to you in terms of uh, accomplishments that he had in a season? Um, well, I posted this on the uh, Twitter account uh, recently. I didn't know until I actually tallied it up myself, but he averaged a triple-double for the entire second half of the 1968 season. So I think the numbers were uh, 25.3 points per game, um, and he shot 62% from the field doing that, 23 rebounds a game, and 10.6 assists per game. That's the 41 games of the second half of that season. So he was really on fire you know, in the second half of that season. Yeah. Uh, now, was that the season where he was trying to lead the league in assists? That would be that season, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, that, I mean, that, that would, that's interesting, uh, you know, and that, that goes to kind of um, a little bit of his mentality and a little bit of his motivation. I mean, it, you know, it, it must be hard. We've seen that with, with other dominant players where it, it's hard for them they have to find a new challenge to keep motivated because kind of like the routine things, the thing are, you know, a little bit easy for them, you know, easy maybe isn't quite the right <laughs> word, but, but you, you know what I'm saying? I, I think. Right. Right. It's not enough just to win the game. You have to win the game and also break a record or something. Sure. <laughs> I, I think for me, uh, one of the things that we, we've talked about it a little bit, I believe on this podcast, and I know there's been articles written about it, about, uh, Wilt's rebounding and just how insane it was and how you can almost even make a case. I mean, everybody knows him for the 100-point game and, and the tremendous scoring, but you can make a case rebounding-wise. He's the greatest rebounder of all time, and, and it might even be more impressive of a rebounder than he is a scorer. Um, and he's the only player with more than uh, 2,000 rebounds in a season. Uh, he has seven of the top rebounding seasons of all time. Uh, we'll get to a little bit of, of where he was when he retired in terms of all-time uh, rebounds here in a little bit. But you just look at his rebounding numbers, and they're, you know, obviously the scoring just jumps out at you right away because that's, you know, the more flashy, the more dynamic, the sexier thing or whatever. But, man, those rebounding numbers are so gaudy when you look at them every single year. And just when you take in the total season numbers, it's just, it, it's incredible. Yeah, and, and that's... Um... Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the thing that maybe is the least appreciated by him. I, I think people might assume that Russell was a better rebounder, um, or at least a more productive rebounder, let's say. Uh, but yeah, but, but Chamberlain beat him almost every season, if not every. Yeah, I, I I think Russell may have beat him a couple times, but um, but yeah, I mean, he has by far the record for the most rebounds in the season, um, and. Um, you know, and with the scoring too. I mean, that's obviously what he's best known for. But um, he has the uh, the most points per game, fifty point four, nineteen sixty two. He also is second with forty four point eight. Third, fourth, and sixth most. Uh, Jordan has the um, has has the uh, fifth most. Um, uh, in the same season that that uh, Wilt had fifty. Um, Algin Baylor did have 38, um, but he only played, I think, 48 games that season because uh, of military service. So uh, it doesn't count officially in the record books, you know, as, as a, a season leader because he doesn't have enough games to qualify. But um, that's a, a slight caveat, but still, you know, amazing. Um, you just again, no one has, has, has come close to that. And I'm not guessing that anyone's ever going to uh, uh, come close to that. Um, Dan, is there anything else that um, any other ones that uh, stand out to you? 
Uh, are we still talking about season records or? Uh, yeah, uh, or if you want to move on to uh, a different category, we're, 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 we're loose and free here. Well, I just uh, feel like pointing out um, with basketball reference, since you guys like to use it, uh, there's a way you can look at the, the, the top 10 leaders of uh, statistics such as scoring. Mm-hmm. And if you guys have ever looked at the top 10 uh, scores, points per game throughout history, if you subtracted Wilt from that, uh, because, you know, it, like you guys mentioned pace before, uh, there's more, the teams are taking more shots, uh, so there's more rebounds, for example, available. But um, I don't think people, a lot of people realize when they start going into that, that uh, the scores, the scoring leaders throughout the history of the game, it's been pretty consistent minus Will Chamberlain. Uh, for example, that 62 season, although Elgin uh, is a, uh, officially not the leader, the next best would be Walt Bellamy, and he averaged uh, 31.5 uh, points per game that season, which is, uh, I think Kevin Durant did that just a few seasons ago. Uh, and that's the 1962 season where Wilt averaged 50. So he, him and the next closest are, even in his own time, very far apart. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, that really is a, um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, even if you consider that adjustment for pace, it's still, um, you, you know, no one came close to that then. And, and obviously no one, um, you know, even if you were going to try to, to c- consider pace, there's no one in history, not even Jordan, who would, uh, you know, come close to, um, you know, the per possession scoring that Wilt had uh, that year. Um, and, um, yeah, the other thing I think is uh, that's impressive. Uh, I mean, there are many things, but but one thing that stands out to me is also is he has the highest field goal percentage uh, in a season in the uh, the seventy three season, which I, it was his last year. He had seventy two point seventy two point seven percent made four hundred twenty six out of five hundred eighty six shots. Um, he, but I think even more impressive than that is that he has the, uh, the 68.3 in 1967, the year that they, uh, won the 76ers won the championship, um, in almost double the shots he had, uh, you know, 68.3, uh, percent, um, shooting. I mean, that's just, yeah, that doesn't hurt. And that was obviously, you know, a, um, intentional thing for him later in his career to be more efficient, uh, understanding the, uh, understanding the value of that. Right. I have, uh, in that 67 season, I have a 20 game stretch. He averaged 27 points on 76% from the field for a 26, for a 20 game stretch. (laughs) Yeah. So he's making more than three quarters of all the shots, uh, that he's attempting at at a rate of 27 points a game. And he's also averaging seven and a half assists while he's doing that. (laughs) You know, one thing that, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, so, uh, you know, somebody might at a glance look at his numbers, you know, how they dropped off when he stopped scoring so much. But uh, he's still very much dominating the game on the offensive end when he's only scoring 24 or 25 points a game, uh, you know, at that time. You know, one thing that... um... I, I, I watched, you know, recent video on your, um, on your channel. And I, I think most people would kind of assume that, um, 
will largely, you know, because he was so big and so overpowering um, that he largely did his work around the basket. And he, he certainly pr- probably did. But, I mean, he really did. Um, he also had a very good jump shot. He was, you know, he, he was very comfortable at scoring from, you know, a little bit of range and not just completely like around the basket. Right, right. Uh, yeah, he had uh, he had three primary shots, and uh, it just depended on what the defense gave him. If there was a clear pass to the basket, he'd obviously go and try to dunk it, but nobody wants to give him a clear pass to the basket, obviously. So he had um, he had a finger roll uh, shot, and he also had a fall away shot if they if they overplayed him for that shot. So, and it was obviously effective. He was still taking that shot. I mean, I have footage of him taking that shot in the 1973 season and in the 1967 season where he, where he was uh, shooting, you know, almost 70% or more than 70% from the field. So he didn't really even stop taking those shots when he was averaging that kind of accuracy. I think he he probably was more careful with when he took them, but you know, that he wasn't playing like DeAndre Jordan and catching backdoor plays or or just you know doing putbacks uh, with that kind of accuracy. He was also taking fadeaways, so uh, I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, moving on to uh, to some of his career stats, um, Rich, is there anything that uh, that that stands out to you? I think one of the fun ones, and I think uh, a few people on Twitter mentioned it to us as well, is that the man never fouled out of a game, despite being a big man, despite, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, is a guy who got a lot of blocks, was a very good defender, never fouled out of a game. And, uh, in fact, he only averaged two fouls per game, or uh, essentially one per every 23 minutes. So that's just, that's really impressive. For a guy, a, a big man like that, a big man who's you know not shying away from contact, not shying away from getting blocks, not shying away from, from just being a decent defender, uh, to never foul out of a game is just, unbelievably impressive and just almost like hard to believe it, it, it seems almost impossible, but it's true. Uh, actually, since you just mentioned that, um, I have his complete, I have an Excel sheet of his complete career and statistics. And, uh, I just counted the number of games he played that he had five thousand. Uh, he played, uh, 1,305 games if you combine his playoffs and regular season. He only got to five fouls 30 times. That's insane. Yeah. And, that, see that, and that's where you get even more. I mean, I, I almost think of that being more impressive because you sort of think of, okay, you get to five and then you become really, you know, sort of careful and you get away from right. the fight. But the fact that he was never even, I mean, 30 out of what, what was the total? 1,045. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just yeah. an insanely low number of times to even get to five. Because I think falling out, you know, avoiding falling out is, is impressive and super impressive. But yeah, I think that five, I'm glad you had that number because that, that I think is even more crazy. Uh, Jason, are you still there? I think we lost you. No, I'm here. I mean, sorry. My, my question. Oh, sorry. Moment. I, I must have muted it. Um, yeah, Rich, you know, you talked about the, um, you know, with the rebounding, um, you know, one is that he retired with uh, 22.9 rebounds per game. Uh, no NBA player has averaged more than 18.7 for a season. Now, you know, again, pace has a lot to do with that, but that's still, you know, if you consider his career number is greater than any NBA player has had, um, 
you know, volume wise for a season that still stands out to me as something that, um, you know, goes up. And, you know, we don't have the rebound percentage stats for most of Wilt's career that they're, 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 they're available, um, you know, later in his career, but even those seasons would rank, you know, in the top 50 all time in seasons for rebound percentage. So, you know, if you're kind of considering, um, what he did in the uh, prime of his career, I, I think it's pretty likely that he's near the top, um, if not at the top, when it comes to um, when it comes to rebound percentage. I mean, maybe behind somebody like Rodman or Moses Malone, but you know, but he's going to be certainly up there um, and probably has multiple seasons that are um, you know high up on that list. Uh, Dan, do you have anything uh, career uh, stats wise? Uh. Well, um, he has a record that I don't think will probably be broken in um, most most consecutive field goals made without a miss, and that's 35. <laughs> and he did that spanning a four-game stretch where he just didn't miss from the field. Yeah, that's that. I, I yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that one is going to be. Uh, you know, even if Steph Curry gets really hot, that's probably not. Uh, you know, he's probably not gonna make sure five straight. Yeah, the only guy that would be able to do that is like some scrub that maybe comes into the fourth quarter, or whatever, and just takes a shot super close to the rim. But I, you know, it wouldn't be the, in that volume. It might take them like a year to do that. Or you know what I mean? Like, like you get somebody like a Steve Novak or, or not even him because he's taking threes. I'm trying to think of like a big, tall scrub dude that just like. Gets in and then like you know in, yeah. in ten like, seconds like Jeff Withy or something you know yeah someone like that I I <laughs> probably would able be able to do it and nobody would care because it would take them like two years to do it but yeah in terms of like <laughs> doing it in four games yeah that's uh, that's just it's probably not gonna happen no <laughs> no um, uh, one one will. When Will did that, he also set the record for most uh, in a game without a miss. It was in the middle of that 35-shot uh, stretch, but one of those of games he, he shot 18 for 18. So. <laughs> See, Jeff Withey would not do that. No, I, I'm so gonna go. I, I will go on record as saying I don't believe Jeff Withey will do that. But yeah. we'll see. Do we have any idea who has the most uh, consecutive shots made other than Will? I, I didn't think to look that up. I don't know who has it other than him, but I know he has the next – two times he also made 32 <laughs> in a row twice on top of the 35 in a row wow yeah. on two different occasions two different seasons he did it in 1964 and he did it uh earlier in that 1967 season where he had made 32 in a row yeah um you know one for me is that wilt uh, another rebounding one is that he has 23,924 rebounds he has more than 2,000 than uh 2000 more than Russell and he has more than 9000 more than uh Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett who are the number 1 and 2 active leaders in uh rebounding um so yeah, basically they have less than um you know less than 2 thirds of of his uh rebounds so less less yeah they're not not nearly as many <laughs> is the uh, point there and <laughs> Um, yeah, that one just stands out again. The volume of rebounding is just, uh, uh you know, it, it, it's, it, it kind of boggles the mind. It, it's almost hard to imagine the game, you know, and watched, you know, a, a decent amount of it, but it's still kind of just hard to like, we're just, just used to the way game, the way the game is played now. And it's just hard to kind of harken back to that a little bit. Yeah. That's probably the biggest difference in the game. Uh, then to now is uh, just the amount of available rebounds. So I don't think any of those records, those rebounding records are likely to be <laughs> likely to be approached. So for, for sure. Um, um, 
Rich, is there any, uh, are there any other uh, career ones or um, are a- any others that uh, stand out to you? Yeah, I think uh, there's there's definitely um, consecutive games with uh, 50 points or more. He has seven in a row uh, in terms of streaks, if we're kind of moving on to that a little bit. Um, in terms of other stuff, uh, 14 straight 40-point or more games. Yeah. Which is and, just and, like, and those are both in 61-62 season. Yeah, which is just an unbelievable year. Yeah. We're going to talk about that one a little bit year. That's like the break the the entire game yeah. sort of year in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, seven straight of 50 is just, impressive and then you know 14 straight of 40 it's just it's it's out of this world and that's you know that, that's a good chunk of the season right there that he was he was guaranteed either 50 or 40 which is just crazy yeah uh, he also reached uh 20, points in uh, 499 games and jordan did that in uh, more than 620 um games um and um yeah he has also has the record for um consecutive triple doubles and uh and, uh, triple doubles with nine and double doubles with 227. He had 227 consecutive double doubles, which that's, yeah. I, I, you probably don't have that handy, or maybe you do. Uh, in terms of what was his stat line on the the game when he didn't get a double double <laughs> of that, Dan? Do you know that? Because I'm sure it was like, I'm sure it was like 29 and like nine or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like 38, nine or something like that. Or... You know, I don't, I don't have that one in front of me, but uh, that might be one that I'll have to tweet or something. Yeah, <laughs> I promise it's like... up when he finally broke it. You know, was it? Uh... Yeah, was you it know like he nine has nine rebounds, rebounds too. Right, yeah, you right. know he's just got right. nine. Yeah, you know yeah. he's got like forty-eight and nine or, maybe, or something like that. Or like maybe he ridiculous. was injured or something, right? And yeah. maybe he just got pulled pulled from the game from injury. I'm That's not true, sure. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe we're just a road statistician who didn't, you know, want to give him the tenth rebound <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, so I, I think um, I think we're basically through um, most of the. Uh, the stats of interest, uh, Dan, is there anything else that, uh, stands out to you? Uh, no, I'll just, uh, let you lead the, lead the conversation to whatever the next uh, point is you okay, want sure. to make. Um, well, he broke the points record, um, in 1966. Um, he passed Bob Pettit, uh, with 20,801. It was the year after Pettit had retired and it was in the middle of Wilt's seventh season in the league when he broke the points record. I mean, that's just, like wow uh, yeah um and and Pettit had played for 12 13 years um i think when um that had happened so basically almost half of uh, Pettit's career i mean he just uh c- completely um blew that away and rich you compiled where um will ranked upon retirement in, in some of the major categories so i'm interested in um in, in that yeah, I mean, it, it, the numbers are staggering um, in terms of, A, the stuff that he, uh, you know, what he retired as, you know, being number one, and then also how far ahead he was of the people he he, he beat out. Uh, so minutes played, he was uh, first place uh, first, of course, when he retired. Uh, the next closest guy was Oscar Robertson, and that was uh, 6,450 minutes behind Wilt at that point. Uh, and what I, what I basically did is I wanted to also check out uh, the career output of, like, other players and how that sort of ranks in terms of, like, what we can say is that basically uh, Wilt was a Brian Cardinal better than Oscar <laughs> Robertson in minutes played. So I found that kind of funny. Uh, this one especially will, will, will get people to laugh probably a little bit. Uh, field goals, 
Uh, he, of course, was first. He beat out Oscar Robertson yet again by uh, 3,511, uh, which is basically the career output of guys like Gerald Wallace, Steve Francis, or George Mikan. So he's a George Mikan better than Oscar Robertson in terms of field goals. Yes. Uh, field goals attempted. Uh, Elgin Baylor was the next closest. That was 3,000, uh, 3, 3, rather, uh, 326. And that's the career output of guys like C.J. Watson, Nikola Beer, uh, Vucevic, and then Derek Favors as well. So just an, an insane amount of, of uh, ahead of some guys. Uh, effective field goal percentage, he was second, unfortunately. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, at 55.6 uh, w- was just ahead of him. But, of course, that's not a really a cumulative number. And at that point, you know, of course, Kareem was still... Yeah, four years um, in the league or so. Yeah, exactly. Relatively new in the league. But Wilt wasn't far behind. Uh, Kareem had 55.6. Effective field goal, Wilt had uh, 54%. So not bad. Uh, free throw attempts, Wilt was first. Uh, the next closest, again, was Oscar Robertson at 2,931, and that's about the career output of Bill Lambeer. So he was a Bill Lambeer uh, ahead of Oscar Robertson in free throw attempts. Yeah. Bill Lambeer's the guy uh, who played like 12, 13 years. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he had I mean, a long like career, yeah. I mean, that's an entire, yeah, it's, it, it, it's crazy. And a guy who, not really like a point guard, you know, yeah, I mean, Bill Lambeer, fouls, I believe. Yeah. Exactly, a guy who I, I think was, you know, in the lane or, or, or could have had arms, you know, reaching in at points, but uh, still, you know, <laughs> what was a whole... Bill Lambert ahead of Oscar Robinson. Uh, total rebounds, uh, of course, he was first ahead of Bill Russell by 2,301, uh, which is basically the career output of Ricky Pierce, who played for, I think, what, 13 years? Something like that, yeah. Or so, yeah. So, of course, Ricky Pierce, not like the, the primitive, like, big man of his era or whatever, but still, it's a lot of years to be completely ahead. I mean, and that's of Bill Russell, too. It's not like some random no-name guy that he was ahead of rebound. That was Bill Russell. So that goes into your point a little bit where you were talking about people maybe thinking that Bill Russell was a better rebounder. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's a tough case to make. I, I think my favorite one of these all, assists, he was sixth when he retired uh, all-time. And the guys ahead of him are just like a who's who in terms of um, uh, of guys. Oscar Robinson, Bob Cousy, Guy Rogers, Lenny Wilkins, and Jerry West. So I thought that was a, a fascinating list of guys. Uh, and then points, he was first. The next closest, unfortunately, again, Oscar Robertson at 5,597 points behind uh, Wilt. And that's basically the career output of guys like Hubert Davis and Sam Bowie. So uh, Hubert Davis, I believe, also played like 13 or 14 years in the league. So it's just, it's just insane of like the space between Wilt and, and some of these guys in terms of, of when he retired uh, and where it was. And, and, and really, you look at a lot of these, some of these are still as impressive. And we've mentioned them throughout you know, time, including you know, you know, different stats. It's just, it's insane how, you know, when he retired and still how much of the records he, he still, um, in some ways, still has and still dominates the leaderboards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I think the assist one is really interesting. I mean, the fact, you know, like five of the greatest point guards of the in the game's history at that time and then and then will chamberlain and then will chamberlain yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. i mean that's just i i don't even know what to do with that one i mean that's just um i, I don't know what do you think of that that one dan which are there any of these that impress you the most well i think like you guys are pointing out the the assist ones um i think it's one that doesn't get a lot of attention because his scoring is so outrageous early in his career that uh, in the middle of his career, and even towards the end of his career, he was leading. He was either among the league leaders in assists for a season, or he was leading the league, uh, the league's centers in assists for basically all the years that he wasn't uh, the scoring leader, and even some of the years that he was uh, among the top uh, top ranked scores. So uh, he was uh, he maybe could be argued as, uh, you know, one of the greatest passing centers of all time uh, based on his assists. Although, you know, I've yet to put together a video where we can really 
highlight that. But I'd like to do that at some point because his assist numbers are so outrageous. Yeah. And um, we're going to kind of go a little bit more in depth in the 61-62 the season, which is um, his most famous season, uh, the year he scored 100 points in a game and had uh, more than 50 points uh, average for the season. Um, but first, I wanted to kind of get into uh, something that I think has been brought up at times, you know, a little bit of a, a criticism uh, of um, Wilt's uh, numbers is the fact that um, the, the quality of opposition um, and obviously, you know, it, it's, it's a different era. There are, um, you know, he, he is you know even bigger and stronger in scale than than he would be today, although I he was I still think he would be a very physically dominating player if he played today. Like I don't think there's any question about that um and you know he did definitely was facing a weaker quality of competition in part because you know there was there was less there were fewer talented big men and there was still a system of discrimination that favored white players um but you know there were still I, i looked this up and there were 31 other centers who played more than 300 games during welt's career um 17 of them were 6'10 or taller, and 20 of them were 225 pounds or more. Uh, Will was listed at, I believe, 7'3", uh, 275. Um, and, you know, he competed against Hall of Famers and All-Stars like Bill Russell, Walt Bellamy, Kareem, Willis Reed, uh, Nate Thurman, Wayne Embry, Red Kerr, Zemel Beatty. Uh, and then may- a lot of his career, he's playing in a league that is eight or 19 leagues. So he's, you know, playing these guys 12 or so times a year, you know, up until 67, 68, when expansion kind of really hits home. So, I I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, um, he didn't benefit from, from just some things in his era that um, haven't, but I I don't like, he wasn't facing scrubs every night or anything like that. I mean, he was facing up against big, strong guys in a tough league, very physical league and playing against some, you know, big, strong guys in, in some elite players. Uh, if I could touch on that, uh, first off, he was listed a uh, seven foot one, 275, okay. but I'm going to, I'll just point out that he was listed seven foot one. But if you look at, for example, a player today, like Spencer Hawes, who is listed at seven foot one, Wilt was actually seven foot one. And that was a barefoot measurement with players that might also get listed seven foot one, like Spencer Hawes today, he was listed or he was measured at six foot 10 and a half. So a lot of people don't realize this is why he looks so much bigger than a lot of other players. He was, I guess you could say unbilled and his weight was closer to 290 to 310 pounds through much of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes for a lot of his competition as well. Uh, like Bill Russell for a while was listed at six foot nine, I think, but he was about six ten without shoes, which if you compare with players today or, or many of the other players that would give him about a six foot 11, you know, listed height. So he was playing against, uh, guys that, uh, were of, uh, I guess you could say uh, an expected size at the center position in his own era. They're not always listed the same way that players get listed today. They're, they're underbilled a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure why maybe for, as the NBA has gotten more popular, they want to really, you know, build these guys up or maybe the shoes got bigger. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, he's definitely more of a consistent approach or, you know, yeah. Yeah. 
I'd say a little bit of both uh, of what you mentioned. We know famously, you know, the Tim Duncan one of like, you know, we needed the seven foot twin towers. So we'll round up a little bit. Yeah, on, on and Kevin right, Garnett. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and some guys like don't like they want to be six eleven instead of seven foot. You know, like Kevin Garnett, I think is famous for that. But exactly, exactly. So, but he, if you saw him, yeah, he would look like he would be like a seven foot three guy, uh, yeah. just based on how they list players today. He would, he would be a. Very imposing player. I think he had a seven foot eight inch arm span. There's like a video where he's getting his arm span measured with Muhammad Ali, and it, the numbers. If you put him through like a, a draft thing where they're you know a scout is trying to draft a player, they, his just his physical proportions would would probably blow them away because they're bigger than Shaq. So. Yeah, and I think that was a good point. Jason brought that up, and, and you brought it up a little bit as well, Dan. It's just that the physical, we sort of assume that he was, you know, playing against guys that were 5'5". Five, five. You know, we hear people <laughs> say, oh, they were just, you know, 5'5 five, five white guys, and there was Wilt Chamberlain or whatever. You know, it's like, that, that's, I mean, the guy, even in his era, uh, like you said, there were guys that were big. But him as well, you look at that guy, and that's my bigger point here of, this is a guy who, you know, physically, you're right in, on the money that this guy could come in today's NBA and still be, you know, <laughs> I mean, he'd be the best athlete today or, you know, or I mean, like, top like three or four, you know? Yeah. And like, that's even without like, that's ignoring like that. He has modern medicine, you know, modern nutrition, that sort of stuff. I think even today, that's a guy who, you know, just by the, by his height and by his weight and his wingspan could be just as well. And then you add in the factor of, Hey, well, these guys have better shoes and better workout facilities and better nutrition and that sort of stuff. And you look at a guy and it's like, yeah, it's no doubt that Will Chamberlain could, could translate not only if you just plopped whatever, you know, 1962 Wilt Chamberlain in today's game. No, he's not scoring 100, but I think he does pretty well. But then if you add in Wilt Chamberlain and then give him all the modern amenities that we have now, there's no doubt in my mind that would still be a guy that, I mean, he's, of course, again, not scoring 100 points a game, but nobody that, he, he's not a guy that that just was of his era and like any other era, he'd be completely lost and have no idea what he's doing and anything like that. It, it's just not true. Yeah, and look at film of him uh, running and jumping, and uh, ask yourself how many guys who are seven foot three look like they can move around on the floor like that too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, getting a little deeper into the sixty one sixty two season, just a, yeah, a few tidbits from that, um, and I want to talk about. We mentioned this a little bit, the context of pace, which is important. Um, you know, in, in the early sixties, you know, the, the the pace was obvious was incredibly increased after the arrival of the shot clock and changes in fouling rules um, led to a, a a faster game. The um, the the Celtics dynasty helped popularize that with the fast breaking. And um, so uh, by 62, there was an estimated 125.5 um, possessions per 48 minutes, which is basketball from basketball reference uh, versus if you're looking at a 2015-2016 season, it's about 90 possessions per 48 minutes, which is actually faster than it's been. It's been getting faster in, in recent years. It was, I think, in the 80s, uh, the high 80s at one point. Uh, this is per the ESPN um, John Hollinger stats. Um, so, I, I, you know, th this is obviously important context. We've talked about that. But I, I, I think it should be pointed out that, like, playing faster is more grueling to endure. Like, I think it should be I, – I think the fact that you – play more possessions in 48 minutes. I think that is still a more impressive feat to, you know, to accumulate those statistics because you're doing it when you're tired and everyone else is tired too, especially when you're playing, you know, 45.3 minutes per game. I mean, I'm sure there's times where you take it a little bit easier on defense or, you know, it's a different game. So it, it's understandable. I, I'm sure you're not going out 
you know, every single thing. I mean, you can't do that today either. But I, I still think that 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 I, I don't think it should just be dismissed because, oh, they played faster. So they have better numbers. Like, I think the other things are important, too. Uh, yeah, and they share the ball more, it seems to be, uh, because if you look at, like I said, the um, the, the ceiling for scores uh, when when the pace was faster, most of the players are still not averaging, you know, more than 32 points a game or, you know, they'll be the top 10 scores. They're scoring between 25 and 30 points a game. Even in that era, even with all the uh, the increased possessions for a team, their teammates are also scoring higher. So, like the role players are getting 15 points a game and 20 points a game, which is what we don't see as much of today. But that the dominant scorers on the teams are not averaging 50, other than Will. And so he's kind of an, an outlier there, and it's hard to even quantify his scoring, um, even in that era, because nobody else was doing that. So. So, you know, there's still like a 20-point gap between him and the next best scorer, uh, Walt Bellamy, for 1962. So I think we mentioned this, but um, but just for emphasis, 63 40-point games that season. Uh, he scored 40, 50 or more points 45 times. It was an 80-game season. Uh, and he scored 60 or more in uh, 14 games. And you, Rich, you compiled... Um, where, like, how far ahead he was on the leaderboard in some of the uh, top statistics. Yeah, again, just staggering numbers of a lot of stuff. Minutes played, uh, he led by 379 minutes over Oscar Robertson, uh, which is is going to be the lesser of the probably all the numbers that we come up with. Uh, field goals attempted, he uh, he led Bod Pettit by 1,231, so uh, not bad, including uh, this little caveat that Bob Pettit had 1,928 that year as well. So essentially lapped Bob Pettit in terms of field goals attempted, which is just incredible stuff. Uh, free throws attempted, he led Jerry West by 437. Uh, total rebounds led Bill Russell by 232, or 262 rather. And then points, he, uh, Dan alluded to it here a little bit, he led Walt Bellamy uh, by 15, or, or 1,534. So, uh, uh, and Walt Bellamy had uh, 2,495 that year as well. So not not quite lap, but uh, pretty much you know, you, you know a, a just insane level of, of output over his his peers and his opponents at that time. Just just incredible. Yeah. And um, you know that was also Oscar Robertson's triple double uh, season. And um, you know Will initially set the a, a points record, uh, breaking Algin Baylor's record in a game against the Lakers, where he had. Um, 78 points on uh, 62 shots and 43 rebounds. Uh, Baylor, meanwhile, in that same game, had 63 points on 55 shots. Um, And then he broke his own single-season scoring record on February 8th, 62, which the season ended March uh, 14th. So more than a month before the season ended, he had already broken his own single-season scoring record um, on the... uh, and then uh, on February 22nd of that year, uh, he had a 65th straight game with 30 or more. Uh, and then finally, in um, March 2nd, 1962, 100 points, 25 rebounds. It was 36 of 63 shooting, 28 of 32 free throws. He made his free throws that night. 
Um, and he set in that game, set NBA records for points, field goals made, field goals attempted, uh, free throws made, and free throws attempted. I, I think those are all still records. I, the I'm not 100% sure about the free throws, but I think everything else is pretty safe uh, on uh, definitely still uh, being a record. So, um, um, so yeah. Um, Dan, anything uh, else about that, uh, th- that season or the 100-point game or anything that uh, really uh, stands out to you? Uh, yeah, he played uh, 63 minutes in that game that you mentioned where he had 78 points and 43 rebounds. I'm not sure if the 63 minutes is an NBA record, but I can't see any other games where he played more minutes than that uh, in a single game, and I'm not sure any other player uh, would have played 63 minutes in a game either. So that might be a record right there as well. Yeah, and that obviously helped him. I don't think we mentioned. Uh, famously, he averaged more than 48 minutes uh, a game in that season because you know that that's, I'm sure the 63 one helped, but he played almost every minute of every game. You know, um, he sat out for a few minutes here and there, but um, but with the overtimes and and such, he actually averaged more than 48 minutes per game. So uh, just incredible. So. Um, uh, Dan, before we go, is there uh, anything else you uh, want to mention, or you want to uh, let everyone know where they can uh, where they can find uh, you on Twitter and on your YouTube account? Uh, well, uh, I guess there's nothing I have in closing. Just um, I think my Twitter handle is uh, Wilt C Archive, and I think you can find me on YouTube at uh, YouTube.com/slash Wilt Chamberlain Archive. And, uh, you know, I don't do, just do videos on Wilt Chamberlain. I try to cover the entire, you know, era that he played in and try to give a lot of players that don't get a lot of uh, attention or highlights. I try to put up as, as much video content as I can to sort of, uh, you know, give everyone their due from that, that time period. So. Yeah, and you've got some great, uh, it's organized really well with some great playlists, and, you know, there's long videos and short videos. I mean, there's there's a whole plethora of stuff, so, you know, whether you have a lot of time to delve into it or just, you know, a few minutes to just check out highlights of a player here, it's a, it's a really great way to explore NBA history. It's a really great tool. We really um, appreciate you doing it, and we appreciate you uh, being on the show so much. This was really great. All right, thank you. All right, and everyone, of course, can uh, check us out Um at uh, hardwoodperoxism.com. We are part of the Hardwood Paroxysm network of podcasts. You can uh, subscribe to both Over and Back and the HP network on iTunes. If you would leave us a rating and review, we would absolutely love you. We would uh, praise your name to the heavens uh, to, uh, for, your, for your wonderful generosity in uh, doing that. Uh, we have a, a forum at overandbacknba.com where you can discuss uh, basketball uh, history and uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Uh, Richard, did I forget anything? Um, no, Facebook. Uh, you said Facebook. I, did, right? I said Facebook, yes. So Okay, that was the only one I don't remember here. All right, yes, there you go. Facebook, Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. So, uh, so you did mention how much we'd adore if people uh, left us a review. We, right? we, we, would, we would adore it, absolutely. So, <laughs> um, you know, any feedback would be great. We really enjoy doing this. Hope we might uh, delve into some other players in this uh, format if people uh, respond well to this. Um, so uh, until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.